Father, would you just come and be with us this morning as we open up your word and read this ongoing saga of Joseph. And Lord, I pray that we would meet with you. I am so grateful for the Holy Spirit who opens up our, the eyes of our hearts to know Christ and to see the truth about ourselves in you. And he enables us to respond with faith and life by the life that he gives. And so, Lord, I want you to do this miracle again amongst us. Lord, I, my hope is that every single person would leave this room having come close to God and responding well from the heart. And Lord, would you help me be a true servant of your word and that you would do something glorious for Christ in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful. We are going to keep going with Joseph and uh, keep following his story. So we're in Genesis chapter 39. I'm entitling this message, Two Slaves. And I just want to remind us, if, if you've been here for the first couple of them, if you haven't, that's fine. I, I think you'll you'll be okay. Um, but when we, if you were here last week when we finished off with Judah's story, um, that was probably around 20 years later from now. So we went and we followed Judah, move out and have a family. And so we actually have to rewind history and come back to just a couple days after Joseph was sold into slavery. So just as a reminder, we're back in time. And we didn't even need a DeLorean or a lightning bolt to do it. We're just going to go into chapter 39. Thank you. All right. These are the very words of God. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in the house and field. So he left all he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his wife, master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day by day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, but I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment 
by her until his master came home and she told him the same story saying the Hebrew servant who you get, you have brought amongst us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garments beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words came to set us free from our freedom. Jesus Christ came, born of a mother, born of the Virgin Mary, died on the cross, rose from the grave, made his new life physically apparent to multiple people on multiple occasions and rose to sit on the throne of heaven and sent the Holy Spirit down on us so that we could finally be free of doing what we want. And be given a new heart that can trust God and do what he wants. That can come to a place of humility before the Lord and say, I just want to make you happy and be under your blessing. To be able to come alive and see that the God of the universe is a good father. And because as a good father, he is incapable of wanting anything bad for us. Perfect obedience to his will is what's best for us. Amen? And so this idea of being like, I need to assert myself or be independent from God, it's always choosing the worst or worse because the father in Jesus Christ is incapable of wanting anything but the best for his children because he's perfect. And so perfect like trust and obedience to the Father is what's best for us. Because, right? But we live in this culture of like, you got to do your own thing and don't let anybody else tell you what to do and be independent and strong and do your, accomplish your own dreams and your own goals. And it's just like, we're killing ourselves. Amen? So why don't we stand? Gray, you can lead us. And I just want to lead us in a prayer time. This is the second thing, okay? Is Gray getting ready? The prayer time's not going to start yet. This is the other thing. So there's two big takes away. Number one, I want to come to Jesus, and I don't want to be free anymore from Jesus. I want to be free in Jesus. And the other thing is this. Christian, I want to lead a church where we believe together that, that wherever we are, God can bless us. Because the circumstances don't slow God down. In fact, they're very often what he's using to get us to the place of next blessing. And this isn't about the, the Lambo of God. I'm not talking about the pastor porch, Porsche. I'm going to buy the pastor Porsche with my own money. Just kidding. I, I'm not talking about the things. The joy of the children of God is being used by their father to bring the kingdom of God. The joy of the children of God is knowing God and being powerfully used to change the world for his glory. That's our joy, right? Nothing can stop God from doing that wherever we are if we'll trust him. There, there, can we, I, just want, I, I want that so bad for me. I want that so bad for us. The Joseph story says, wherever we are, God can bless me if I trust him. So let's stand together. We'll have a time of prayer. Anybody who wants to give themselves afresh to Jesus.
Maybe this is the first time. Maybe this seems crazy to you a little bit, but you're just like, I get that I wreck my life when I'm doing my own thing. Let me tell you, friend, if that's you, you understand that you, you usually wreck your life when you get to do your own thing. You can come to Jesus. He loves you. And he will love you with a love that never stops and never quits and never gives up. He will put a, a spirit into you that will begin to change how you think about things, help you understand his words so you can understand how the world really works. And he'll lead you to be able to make choices which actually do bring the blessings of God. But that's not the biggest thing. The biggest blessing Jesus will give you is the sure knowledge that the God of the universe loves you as a child. And you'll never be separated. And so you can give your life to him today. God will receive it. If you do it by trust, you're not trying to earn anything. We're sinners. We can't earn anything. But if you give yourself to Jesus and say, be be my Lord. I want to belong to you. He'll receive you and it will change everything. It'll be hard sometimes. Don't let anybody lie to you. It will be so hard sometimes. But you'll never be alone. And wherever you are, God can bless you. And for the rest of us who've been walking with the Lord, I just want to invite us all to just give our lives afresh to master Jesus. And ask him to help us be faith-filled, obedient servants who are just living for his glory. Amen? So, Father, here we are, your people. Jesus, I, I don't know if I'd ever said it before, but I, it is true. What you want is what's best because you're incapable of wanting bad things for your people. And so, Lord, where I've been independent and self-willed from you, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And would you make my will to do your will? Would you help me rejoice in being able to say, I'm a servant of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that as you use us, I pray you'd give us this unshakable confidence knowing that whatever the circumstances you will or allow, if our eyes are on you, nothing can stop you from blessing us. In Jesus' name. That his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all his prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made to succeed. All right. So, like usual, I want to make some con- co- comment to help us understand the story, and then we'll do some applying to our lives. So if you remember, what, one of the things I've been trying to say about the Joseph story is that this is God going to war against the serpent. 
And at the very beginning of Genesis, in chapter 3, after the fall, after the man and the woman have eaten the forbidden fruit, God says to the serpent that the serpent is going to be destroyed and that God is going to raise up a seed of the woman who is going to be an enemy of the serpent and is going to hate the serpent and that God is going to use this seed to crush the serpent's head even though the serpent is going to have opportunity to crush the seed's foot. Welcome to Mother's Day. That was the first mother. This is before anyone was born. This is when God says, serpent, there's going to be a child. This woman who you deceived and turned against me and turned against her husband and turned against everybody, um, she's going to become a mother, and one of her offspring is going to destroy you. So put that in your Mother's Day mental picture. The point of Mother's Day is to celebrate the fact that God said mothers were going to give birth to seeds that we're going to hate the serpent and be used by God through suffering to destroy his works in the world. And ultimately, that mother was uh, Mary, who gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his heel was crushed on the cross. But on the cross, he destroyed the authority and power of Satan over death and is ruling now and bringing about his kingdom. This is the big context. But there is another story in Genesis that helps us understand what's going on here. And this is this, the promise to Abraham. Um, you might remember after the flood of Noah, um, God singles out one person in order to bless the world through him. And so in Genesis chapter 12, he singles out Abram, later named Abraham, and says to him, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham is one of these seeds. He's not the ultimate seed, the true seed, but he's part of this generation of faith that God um, captures their heart to turn against sin and to be faithful to the Lord. And part of the Abrahamic blessing is that the nations will be blessed through God's people. Do you hear that? All the families of the earth will be blessed. And so we come to Joseph's story and we begin to see this happening. Here's Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers through betrayal so that he could die at the hands of some Ishmaelites or some Egyptians. And he's hauled from his homeland down to Egypt and sold at a slave market to some Egyptian secret service director. And what does God do about all this injustice? He begins to bless some Gentiles. And for Joseph's sake, Potiphar his slave master finds out that his home is being blessed. What? That's weird. But this is God's plan, that his people, who are loyal to him and love him, hate sin and believe in his promises, would be used by God for God to bless the families of the earth through them. And the Apostle Paul, speaking of Pentecost, says that this is the big show. The point of Pentecost is that this promise that the blessings of God would come to all the nations. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit, ultimately. But in Joseph's life, it's going to be that wherever he goes to work for somebody, God blesses them. And the blessing is so full 
that Potiphar, um, all his responsibilities in life are deciding what's on the menu for his next meal. Anybody? Somebody? His home gets turned into an all-inclusive. Anybody? Somebody? Like, should I, should I sit on the right-hand side of the pool today or the left-hand side of the pool today? These decisions are stressing me out. That's Potiphar's life because, because he sees it. And this is one of the things that, this is one of the lines I've got underlined in my story. It says, um, the Lord was with Joseph, verse 2, and he became successful. And in verse 3 it says, his master saw that the Lord was with him. And this is one of the things about this story that's kind of a bit ironic is that the, the pagans can see God's activity in someone's life, whereas Joseph's brothers couldn't see it, right? They heard about the dreams, they heard about the promises, and they just could not bring themselves to believe that God is working through. This guy, my younger brother who I hate, no, 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 we have to kill him. And here's this Egyptian pharaoh server worshiping the idols that the egyptians would worship and then all of a sudden he's like what is with this slave of mine everything he does is awesome who are you well i'm a hebrew i'm a worshiper of the lord it sure looks like the lord is blessing you you know what i'm gonna do you're in charge of everything and it's it's ironic that the pagan can see god's activity and then welcome it your God's going to bless you? Well, then I want you to be in charge of everything here. And he elevates Joseph as high as Joseph can get without replacing him. Does that make sense? He's like, okay, you're in charge of everything except for my marriage and eating because I actually have to eat in order to get full. Right? Like, like I would give you my eating as well except that I'd starve. So it's just, all I want to do is eat and then be, do my, my marriage. But you're in charge of everything so that your God will bless me. And it says that this is what God does. For his sake, both his house and his field, both his work for Pharaoh and his possessions and his crops, everything's blessed because Potiphar recognizes the hand of God with somebody and says, I want to participate with this. Strangely, he's a man of faith in a weird way. He believes there is a God. He believes this God can bless his life, and he participates with it by humbling himself and putting a, a Hebrew slave over in charge of everything. Hmm. Cool. But, Potiphar has a wife, and she's of a different spirit. And so she sees Joseph, and he's young and handsome, and she would like to have sex with him. And Joseph doesn't participate with this. And when you're reading an Old Testament story, when people um, are speaking and they're directly quoting things, that is usually an expression of their character. It's not just like an event, a newspaper reporting. God wants you to know what someone's like. And one of the ways that the story will let you know that this person is honest is that it will say something and then it will have that person say the exact same thing that God just said in the narrative. The, their quotation will quote it and then you'll know, ah, 
This person knows what's going on and they're honest. And then we also get to hear from their perspective on things. And this is what I mean. It says that, you know, the Lord blesses everything that Joseph does. And that's why he's in charge of everything. And then Joseph says, because of me, my master has no concern for anything, but he's put everything under my charge. So God says this is what's going on. And then Joseph says this is what's going on. And it's the same. So that's the Bible's way of saying Joseph is an honest person. He, he's reporting with his mouth what is actually happening in the world. And then we find out Joseph's inner life. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And we haven't heard Joseph say anything in Genesis since he said, like, here I am to his dad before his dad sent him off in the story. This is like a, the longest quotation from Joseph. What kind of person is he? If these words are special, and this is how it works, he's somebody who can see things from God's perspective. Sorry, yeah, he told the, his brothers the dreams, and then he said, here I am, Father. But we see Joseph his whole worldview is this. It's a worldview of covenant faithfulness. This is who Joseph is. He's a man of covenant faithfulness. And even though he's been sold into slavery, and even though he's been bought by a pagan, his soul works by covenant faithfulness. How could I sleep with you when you're my master's wife. How could I betray my master who's being good to me by doing this thing? And he's a man of covenant faithfulness with the Lord. He says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you see that? So it's, this, is, this is the Bible saying this is who Joseph is. He sees the world through, I need to be faithful to the Lord and I need to be faithful to the people God has given me. This is how he sees things, which is interesting because I remember somebody once a little bit later than Joseph saying, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You need to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And Joseph is this guy, even though he's got it pretty bad, he lives to love the Lord, his God, and to trust in his promises and to not do wicked things. And can we just, yeah, so I'll just leave that there. <clears throat> and the wife keeps pestering him and pestering him until one day she sets this trap and she grabs the garment and Joseph does the right thing. He runs away, but it provides this opportunity for him, for her to hold on to his garments and to lie about him and to um, get him expelled. And I, I kind of think, you know, there's a few stories in the Bible where things are like this. You can remember, if you, if you remember the story of Tamar and Amnon, sometimes human beings, when they really want someone, want someone, want something, there's this moment of like almost getting it or getting it, and then they, the rejection sets in, and then they hate this person as much as they, they wanted to be with them before. And so here's Potiphar's wife, and she's been rejected, and at first maybe she thought that this was just kind of some game, and, and slaves like to play hard to get sometimes even though they're participating with it. And Joseph like runs away from her. And now she's like, oh, this, this stinking slave, he thinks he can reject me and get away with this. Uh-uh. And now, even though she wanted to lie with him to start off with, now she wants him to die, to die essentially. She wants to get rid of him. And so she makes up this lie. Speaking of, and so what is she? When she starts talking, she, she's a liar. And she makes up this story. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... 
This story, I think, is specifically written to remind us of two other stories that we've read so far. Has Joseph been in a place before where people have betrayed him and used his clothing against him? Yeah. His brother sold him into slavery and took his clothes and brought it to the father and said, what do you think happened? He, he must be dead. Therefore, there's no search party. Um, there's no, the father's not sending out a service to go find him. Oh, his clothes are used against him. He's been stripped again, and his clothes are being used against him again for betrayal. Just like his evil brothers. And... When the wife is telling these stories, she accuses the Hebrew of wanting to come and laugh at us. Which, okay, it's like to have sport or to mock or to twist and be evil. But if you remember from the Judah story that happened in the last chapter, when Judah was trying to send out the goat to pay for the prostitute that he slept with, and his friend Hira couldn't find find her, he says, stop. Um, stop trying to find this lady or else people are going to start laughing at us. So you have these two stories where somebody's um, sex life is way messed up and talking about being laughed at. And so we're supposed to read this and go, oh, Potiphar's wife is a Judah before God saved him. She's just a lady who sees the entire world through her own selfishness and is willing to get people killed if they don't participate with her plan. But it's supposed to remind us of where we've already been in these stories. And she's she's a seed of the serpent, essentially. She uses lying to try to accomplish her goals. She she uses uh, twisting of facts. She tries to manipulate and overcome people with with that thing, And, and we're supposed to remember this. And this is a showdown between Joseph, who is a true and honest worshiper of God, who wants to be faithful to God, um, being bruised by the seed of the serpent through a liar and a manipulator. And then it says she's told these stories, and then the master heard the words. This is verse 19. As soon as the master heard the words that his wife spoke, his anger was kindled, and he threw Joseph in prison. And some commentators, or at least one, has said, "This, this line's a little bit ambiguous. What do I mean by that? I mean, Potiphar hears what his wife is saying, and he's mad, but it doesn't say who he's mad at. And if you read this, you might think, well, he's mad at Joseph for trying to do this, right? Except, here's a couple of facts. Number one, Potiphar um, would probably guess that Joseph's a really honest guy, blessed by the Lord, just because of what's going on. Number two, Potiphar is the captain of the guard, which is essentially means he's like the head of the secret service. And so he's pretty used to sussing out liars for a living. Like his whole job is to discern when people's motives aren't right and to find out liars and to stop assassins and to kill people who would try to harm the king. That's his job. He's like a human lie detector. And so when he starts hearing this story, oh, I was crying out. Not yet. I cried out so loud, Joseph ran away. None of the other servants would have heard me for some reason, but you know, I cried out so loud, he ran away. Oh, that Joseph. What are all those scratch marks on Joseph's arm? Never mind those. How come you don't have any defensive wounds? Shut up! He's angry. 
And I think he's angry because he knows that it is not possible for him to side against a Hebrew servant against his wife. And so he's in this impossible position where he has to get rid of Joseph, which is going to cost him a blessing. And I think that you kind of know he thinks that Joseph is innocent because he doesn't just kill Joseph, which is probably what Joseph would have deserved. Right? What do jealous wives do, or jealous husbands want to do with people who mess with their wives? They want to kill them. Amen? Any guys? What do husbands want to do when people mess with their wives? They want to... They want to... They, they Google... You never Google it, but you Google how to get rid of the body so no one can find it, right? Except for Potiphar, he wouldn't need to. It was his slave. He could have killed Joseph like right there in front of him. No problem. But instead of doing that, he puts him in the royal prison. And so I could be wrong, but I think the way the story is told, Potiphar does not believe his wife, but he knows he can't do anything because of their culture and their society. And so he mercifully puts Joseph somewhere where he's punished but not killed. And as I read this, this is almost like a replay of the Garden of Eden where you have a husband and a wife, that's Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, who are experiencing the blessing of God through Joseph's presence, Joseph is bringing God's presence to them and blessing their whole household so that they, they don't even have to work anymore. Joseph's doing all the work and God's blessing everything. They can just sit around. It's almost like they're in paradise. Except the woman wants to reach out for some forbidden fruit, which is adultery with one of the slaves. And because of that, it costs them God's presence in Joseph. And Potiphar's stuck, kind of like Adam, just standing there not knowing what to do. Potiphar's stuck. He can't fix this thing. And so the sin costs their household God's blessing. But the big difference is is that um, in the story of Genesis, there are no faithful human beings when the fruit is even. But in this story, there is one faithful human being in this story, right? Joseph has been faithful. He's been righteous. Yeah, he's been stripped naked. Yeah, he's been in prison, but he's been faithful to the Lord. And so God stays with him. The presence of God goes with the people of God wherever they are. And now Joseph's in prison, but the blessing that was on Potiphar's house is now in the prison. Can you imagine living in a world where the most blessed place you could be in, it would be in prison? That is where the blessings of God is, in Pharaoh's prison, which is again, a little bit unusual. Anybody notice that God's a little bit unusual sometimes, a little bit unpredictable? Like literally in the entire world, the blessings of God. They're not with Judah. Judah's out doing his dumb thing, and Jacob's at home just crying because he's believing the lie. The blessing and presence of God are all of a sudden in Pharaoh's prison with Joseph because that's where the faithful seed is. That's where the person who is going to be faithful to God, no matter what, is. Amen? So that's how I read this story, and that's how I think it fits together. Let's apply this to our lives a little bit. According to this story, what is the one thing any human being needs in order to have the presence of God with them and bless them? You're good to stay silent because this is a bit of a trick question. 
the one thing you need in order to have the presence of God bless you is to have the presence of God with you. And the reason I ask like that is because in our culture, we're very circumstantially evaluative. And what I mean by that is we spend a ton of time evaluating God and ourselves by our circumstances. Right? It's raining today on Mother's Day, so obviously God dropped the ball on that. We can't have fun this afternoon anymore because it's drizzling. And all our plans are ruined, and this day's shot, we might as well just go to bed now. Except that would be going to bed early, which means I didn't get to stay up late having a Netflix binge. So, and that's what I need in order to have a good life. And so now I just start my Netflix binge in between two, these two services, and I'll stop for the next service. But maybe we can just record this and put it online. That would be easier for me anyways, because my circumstances aren't the way I want, and so obviously I can't have God's blessing, and this is a problem. Okay, here's Joseph's circumstances. Number one, he's half an orphan because his mom died giving birth to his younger brother years ago. Number two, he's totally hated and betrayed by his brothers. Number three, lost his dad. Probably wondering why his dad hasn't come looking for him. Number four, he's a slave in another country, like a real slave, like a real, real slave, in a country where there are no laws to protect slaves. He's just a slave in another country. And, like... Think about this. If this were your life, wouldn't you feel justified to be bitter? Yeah. Canadian Christian? Yeah. And then some lady comes along and she's like, hey, would you like some free consequence-free sex? A little bit less loneliness? Just a little pick-me-up on the side? I'm not going to tell. In our culture, isn't this how we work? Your life's not perfect. Buy something or download it to make yourself feel better. This is, this is how we do the world. I have found something wrong with my life. I can't be faithful to God because he's not faithful to me. Give me something. Give me something. Make it better. Give me something. But Joseph's standing there saying to all of us, look at my list of grievances that I could have. Look at my list of things going wrong. Look at my completely imperfect circumstances. In a few days, I went from like the prince of God's royal family down to a slave in Pharaoh's house. And I was like, yeah, God can bless me here too. So I'm going to be faithful to him. God can bless me here. And if I could just wave my arms, and I won't do it much because my shirt's a bit bit too short for my ever-growing pastor punch. (laughs) The people of God say, God can bless me here. End of story. And Joseph didn't have a Bible, and he didn't know about Jesus, and he didn't have the Holy Spirit. He just believed. He had these dreams, maybe. He'd heard his family's stories, and he said, God can bless me here, and I'm going to be faithful to my God. Can, can we be there? I could probably just stop right here. We've, we've all got something to repent for. Amen? God can bless me here. Every day. God can bless me here. <clears throat> and Joseph is seeing God with him. 
He could wake up every morning being like, I'm still in Egypt, I'm forsaken by the Lord. But instead he said, well, it looks like my master's, all my master's cows have like twins. Is that normal? And the sheep are pumping out like four at a time. Because everything's blessed. Well, the Lord's with me. Wouldn't, wouldn't it feel normal to be upset? Actually, that you're a slave in another country and God's blessing your slave owner? Wouldn't you want to be like, this is not fair. This is not the blessing I asked for. I want to go home. But instead, I'm stuck having a really successful career as a slave. Somebody? Anybody? I know I've said that a few times. I just, this is, I've been worried about this message because it's so countercultural. Right? Because right? We, we hate slavery in our culture, right? Mostly because of the Civil War down in the States and then we get all of their, their, um, their movies and their political uh, problems coming at us. But in our culture, it is completely impossible to imagine that you could be a slave and be faithful to the Lord and happy and still grieving, but... And then to actually say out loud, I refuse to betray my slave owner, like your own mouth saying... Even though, I, like all these troubles to actually say to the woman saying, here, want some free pleasure? To actually say out loud with your mouth, no, I want to be faithful to my master. This is an impossible thought for us, right? No, I'm just going to be faithful to this guy who, who owns me and could kill me if he wanted to. This is an impossible thought. And at the same time, the idea of just, just being like, wherever I go, God can bless me. That is also a nearly impossible thought for us. Because we have so many demands on what God needs to do for us to say he's doing an okay job. Or can be trusted. So I, I find Joseph just personally devastating. <laughs> I started off this sermon series liking him now. Ugh. I can see why they got rid of that guy. No, you're supposed to be bitter like us, Joseph. Why? <laughs> I hate you. I'm kind of joking, but you see what I mean, right? Now, the reason I call this sermon Two Slaves is because there are actually two slaves in this story, even though only one of them is technically a slave. Who's the other slave? It's Potiphar's wife. She's totally just a slave. She's totally just a slave. Slave to her desire, slave to her pride, slave to her passion. She thinks she's a free woman. She thinks like, she's married well, right? She's married royalty. She's married the captain of the guard. She's married, she's got all these slaves and all these servants. She's super free. She can do what she wants, more or less. And she kind of proves it by what she does when her husband's not at home. She's just a free woman getting what she wants out of life. Total slave to sin. Total slave to her earthly passions, told slave to, to the enemy. And this situation has reminded me of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He's talking to this church back in uh, a lot longer than the Joseph story, but a lot earlier than us. And he says, he's talking to a church that has some slaves in it. He wants to teach them how to think about this stuff well. He says, starting in verse 17, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord assigned to them 
to him to which God has called him. And this is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time they were called circumcised? Let them not seek to remove the marks of circumcision, which sounds painful, so good call. And was anyone at that time, the time that he was called uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, which also sounds painful, so good call. Verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God, each one should remain in the condition he was called. Were you a bondservant or a slave when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to be free too. For he who is called, this is the important part, he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. And likewise, he who is a free, who is free when he's called as a bondservant of Christ. Sorry, so he who is free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You're bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. And he goes on from there. But this is the point of what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, even if you're a slave, legally, if you're walking with God, you're free. And Joseph proves that. Who is the one free person in this story? Joseph. He's just like not enslaved to his sin, not, enslaved, not worried about the consequences of faithfulness. He's a free man. Though he's a slave, why? Because he's walking in faith with God. His life is about God. His life is about being faithful to God and being faithful to people who God's given him. So he's free. It's Potiphar's wife who thinks she's free, that she's the real slave. She just can't stop herself. And because of that, the, the blessings of God departs from her household. And, but Paul f- goes on further to say, he says, if any of you were free when you're called, you're now the bondservant of Christ. Anybody? Anybody a slave when they became a Christian? No? There's, well, no, I mean legally, like the, the bought at the slave market kind. Anybody? So you were free? Okay, so then when you got saved, you became Christ's slave. Owned by him, bought by him, ruled by him. That's welcome to the gospel. Jesus turns everything upside down. If you're a slave, Jesus makes you free, even if you stay in your slavery. You think you're free? Congratulations, you're now a slave to God. Do what he wants. Obey him, trust him, live for him, live for his glory. Make his will your only will. What? Yeah, it's all messed up, but now it's right side up. It just feels messed up because we're used to things being upside down. Amen? Amen. So this is two slaves. Which kind do you want to be? In the West, we, we would almost every time choose to be a slave to our own passions than to be a freed person but physical property to somebody else. Right? That's our culture. 